Hello, 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 and welcome to the 39th edition of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles, and it's always a pleasure to talk to amazing individuals from the world of sports, people that have paved the way for how sports is today. And before I introduce this gentleman, I want to let you all know to check out past episodes of Where They At. Make sure to check it out, subscribe, and or rate on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, etc. Check out wherever you check out your podcast you can check out where they at and check out riveting conversations that i have with these amazing individuals that i'm honored to speak with this this particular edition i mean i'm this this man is someone i grew up admiring uh in new york city i grew up in queens and he's from brooklyn he was born in south carolina but raised in the tough area of brownsville brooklyn new york city and he started tilden high school and made his major league debut at the age of 21 with the pittsburgh pirates when the Pirates were in the heyday for sure. And uh, the next year he was traded to the New York Yankees and the rest was history. Six time all-star second baseman, two World Series titles as a player with the Yankees in the late 70s. And he went on to become third base coach for the Yankees, winning four more titles in the late 1990s and the year 2000. So right at the, around the turn of the century. And he managed the New York Mets to relevance in the mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s. And is part of the coaching staff now for the USA baseball team looking to win gold in the 2021 Summer Olympics in Tokyo, Japan. It's my honor and privilege to present the one and only a legend in New York, Mr. Willie Randolph on where they at. How are you, sir? Good to be with you, man. Thanks for inviting me, man. We have some food today. Talk a little baseball, a little music. It is yeah. out of my alley, brother. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And, and you've lived such a great life. You have a book that came out in 2014. It's a beautiful book of stories and, and just how, you know, such a rich life you lived. It's called The Yankee Way, Playing, Coaching, and My Life in Baseball. So please check that out, everybody. Check that book out. It's a great biography. And and, and there's a lot of things where it says truth is stranger than fiction. The stories you talk about, I'm like, what in the wow, you know? But talk about the process of writing that book and 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 did you journal throughout your life or did you have to like kind of dig back on the memory banks for everything yeah yeah i just pretty much dug back um you know so many memories so many experiences um you know i chronicle some of the stuff that i grew up experiencing but for the most part it was really all right here because i grew up as a young man in brownsville brooklyn left home really early to go away and play major league baseball with the mm -hmm. pirates Mentioned. And so a lot of what I was feeling uh, was ingrained because I just never thought that a kid from uh, from New York would ever make it to the big leagues, even though I worked hard and I believed in myself. Mm -hmm. uh, it was easy for me to, to reminisce about my life. That was really the premise behind the book more than anything, giving people a little glimpse into my life, into my upbringing, uh, what my parents had to go through being sharecroppers down yes. in South Carolina. Uh, yes. That's how, you know, again, I used to always go back to South Carolina, although, I, like you said, I was born in South Carolina, but we moved to New York when I was maybe six weeks old, somewhere mm, around there. So we would go back and forth to kind of visit my grandmother and everybody. So I re remember the stories. And I remember across the street where I was born, uh, there was a big old cotton field. My mother used to work hard at every day. So, so the history is rich. I wanted to be able to tell their story and how successful they were and, and, and raise me and my siblings. And then just talk about the Sandlots in New York, talk about me being drafted, uh, you know, the, the way I, you know, ascended to where I was as a professional going through the system really quick. And then ultimately, you know, playing for the team that I grew up rooting for. I was really more of a Met fan, as yes. you know, I was yep. a National League fan, mm -hmm. but 
the Yankees were, were, you know, they weren't great at the time, but the history was there. So I ended up, um, you know, playing historically for one of the greatest franchises of all the history. So, uh, man, I can talk all day about how blessed I am. But, uh, you know, as you as we speak, as we talk, you'll get a sense of how, how fortunate I am. Oh, no doubt about that. Wow. The great Willie Randolph here on the 39th edition of Where They At. Six-time All-Star, six-time world champion, four as a coach, two as a player here. What an honor to speak with him in New York City, one of the great athletes to ever come out of New York City. Willie, how are you and your family, you and your wife Gretchen, your longtime wife that you met in the sixth grade, right? Like, I mean, how are you and you, Gretchen, your children, your family doing through this through this horrible pandemic? Pandemic. Yeah, thanks for asking because it's all about family and really just keeping each other safe. And um, uh, we we we've been doing well. We're doing okay. I left. I was with the Yankees in spring training. Mm-hmm. The COVID really got heavy. Uh, we were down there working out with the team. I came home for a minute just to kind of check on the family, see how what was going on. Probably around the middle of March. Yeah. I called Cashman. Yep. I, called Cashman. I knew things were grumbling. Things were going on around that time about you know the virus. But I came home for a minute. I was going to go back to spring training. Brian Cashman said, listen, no, don't come back. We're going to shut things down. We'll just yep. later on. So I didn't actually go back down. I had to send for my stuff to be shipped back up here. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I got back home, you know, we just started to take care of each other. I got three beautiful granddaughters mm-hmm. who I'm so proud of. And uh, I'm going to get that shortstop one day. Hopefully I'll get that, that knucklehead <laughs> one day or whatever. God That's right. But That's the, right. Girls, they're the best. But, um, but so we came back home. We just took care of each other, made sure we were all separating, quarantining, and just watching each other so we can kind of stay together and be together. Because if you can get that bubble tighter, then you can probably see each other a little bit more. So mm-hmm. everybody's doing good. Thank you. Um, uh, I have uh, three beautiful daughters and a son. They're all grown now. Those are the ones wow. that give me grandbabies. So yes, everyone's yes. doing well, man. And uh, we just keep in contact and just trying to get through this pandemic together and stay strong as a family. Well, no doubt. And, and what's beautiful about this time, a lot of reflection and a lot of insight and a lot of um, people opening their eyes to what was going on throughout this year, you know, with the police brutality. I mean, it's happened. Come on, it's happened for centuries. You know what I mean? Like the, the systemic racism, everything like that. But it came out full circle, especially during this pandemic. And uh, what what's your take on how Major League Baseball handled uh, this, the advocacy, being able to advocate for Black Lives Matter and advocate for inclusion, especially with the name change in the Indians. That's one uh, right. uh, example. Yeah. Well, I think they've done a, a, a pretty good job. I mean, mm-hmm. again, me, I always think we can do more because we, we were talking about these things, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And uh, even though we've gotten better, we still have a long way to go. When I think yeah. about Jackie Robinson and those infamous words that when, when he retired, he talked about, and it's funny, he didn't, he didn't even stress a manager, a black man being a manager, he talked about being in the third base coaches boxes. That wasn't that long ago. So think about even at the time he said that he wasn't even thinking that we would be sitting in a manager situation. That's why I'm, I'm so proud that I got the opportunity to manage in my hometown and be the first yes. African-American manager in New York baseball history. Think about that for a second. Yes. I, that, this has been a long history, but I was the first. Okay. So, so for me, it, it was just about, you know, um, uh, feeling good about, you know, growing up and, and, and being an inspiration to all the people that I was around, basically. But, but I mean, we, we lost the great Hank Aaron, man. I, I, I was going to, you know. Yes, I was going to ask you, thank, please, thank you for saying that. That was my next question, sir. You know, and we lo- he was the luminous Henry Aaron. And, you know, um, what he meant to baseball overall American society resonated through generations and will continue to resonate. Like, as a former 
all-star major leaguer and a black man, you know, what did he mean to you and how were your interactions with him? Ever since I found out this morning that he had passed, I mean, all these memories are flooding back in my mind. I got all these memories of when I first met him, you know, uh, how he touched me. Let me just go back a little bit uh, because this is kind of a weird kind of parallel here. He was born in 1954. That's the year I was born. Okay. No, no. I was born in 1954. That was his rookie year. Rookie year. Yes. Uh, I actually had an opportunity to play with him my rookie year, which was his last year in 1976. The new ballpark opened Yankee Stadium. Uh, We actually opened up in Milwaukee. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he was a DH at the time towards the end of his career. So he wasn't playing. Actually, he he took 10 home runs that year. But I finally got a chance to meet the great, great Hammond Hank Aaron. And it was in Milwaukee. Uh, we went to New York to open up a year later. I mean, a, a month or so later. Mm-hmm. But for me, I remember thinking to myself, I would never ever thought that I would ever rub elbows with a man who, who just inspired so many people. Now, fast forward to over the years after he retired, after I got involved in other things in baseball, I got a chance to actually watch a game with him. He was a Yankee Stadium being honored. And, um, and I got a chance to sit with him and watch a baseball. Can you imagine that? Sitting watching a baseball game with the great Hank Aaron. Ooh. And he was always very gracious. You know, I was a little bit intimidated at first, but but he made me feel very comfortable. We sat and talked baseball for hours. He saw things on the field that that I was like blown away, like, wow, how'd you pick that up? But that's why he was so great because he was able to see things, to be able to right. break down pictures and, and sequences. And he was just a phenomenal man. So I just feel so blessed, man, that I was able to, um, you know, have a, a, a piece of him in my mind to where I can share this with my grandkids and people that I love because he was just a legend and uh, just be, be able to have known him. Uh, I just got goosebumps today. But right away, I thought about the good things, the humanitarian that he was, things that he went through. They talk about Jackie Robinson. He, he was he, he went through probably more than Jackie went through, really. That's because, right. The death threats going for 715. And he was open. He had no protection. Jackie's Jackie has somewhat of a bubble around him. He had, you know, his teammates and Pee Wee Reese and Roy Campanella. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, Hank didn't have, you know, they were barnstorming all through the South where they couldn't stay at hotels. They couldn't eat at certain restaurants. And he wasn't really protected. They were on their own, okay? So mm-hmm. to me, I think that he should get just as much credit as Jackie did for just persevering and fighting through all of that because, I mean, you know, that, that couldn't have been easy. And if he didn't have the right mentality to kind of turn the other cheek or kind of just uh, be strong enough to not fight back, Mm-hmm. No, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. I mean, he was just such, such a pioneer. It's unbelievable. Right. That's right. And and um, and then what he did was very interesting. Clarence Avon, talk about some music. Clarence Avon, the Black Godfather, that Netflix documentary about his life. He's like the man in, in with the recording industry and the movie industry. But he set up an endorsement deal with Coca-Cola for Hank Aaron. I didn't know that. And he talked about how, you know, he was he was enraged that no companies were behind Hank Aaron and he was breaking one of the most hollowed records in sports history. And he ended up getting Hank Aaron a Coca-Cola endorsement and getting his name and image out there. It's beautiful. Like that's a great story. Like so endorsements wasn't as prevalent back there for African Americans, but he should have been on every 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 billboard everywhere. And um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's just amazing to me the impact he made and, and, and when this all came to fruition, it wasn't all peaches and cream. As you know, I mean, he went through a lot of tough times, a lot of death threats, you know, a lot of yeah. looking over his shoulder. I, I think about that, that iconic picture that he took running 
you know, the base is going on second base. That's right. Came over. And and I'm thinking, and, and they were cool, but in his mind, I'm sure he's thinking, oh my God, I don't know what these people are going to do to me here, man. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. So he kind of pushed them away a little bit, kind yeah. of, but but you can see that in his mind, he was terrified that something might happen or whatever. No, nowadays you would never see anybody run in the field. Back in the day, mm-hmm. when it was Chris Chambers' home run, it was total pandemonium. Everybody ran 76. on the field. The wasn't so good back then. <laughs> we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about Bronx's burning. We're gonna talk about that, you know, for sure. And uh, wow, you know, yeah, Hank, Hank Aaron was so amazing. And 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 I had Steve Garvey on the 36 edition of where they at, and he was on the field, you know, and he talked about how when Hank Aaron was going around the bases, he was so upset because when he turned around. He he wanted to shake Hank's hand, Mr. Aaron's hand, and and Hank Aaron ran by. He was like, "Oh!" And you can see, like in the video, how he's—you can see his body language. Like, I missed, you know, shaking his hand. You know? Everyone respected him, and and mm-hmm. they had for him, and they knew what he was going through. And he was always very giving. The thing mm-hmm. I love about guys like Hank and Willie and and, and all those guys. They they knew they were part of a legacy. They need they wanted to always pass it on to the next generation, and that's mm-hmm. what I, I I really kind of uh, kind of pattern myself after in, the, in their in their ways. That you know what we're all part of a long legacy. If we don't look out for each other and pass on our knowledge and teach these kids how to be professionals on and off the field, mm-hmm. then we're gonna lose that. I mean you know on another subject, there was only eight percent of African Americans in baseball last year. Eight percent. Think about that for a second. You know? Yeah. When I was managing the Mets in 08, when I got fired, I think there was like maybe seven of us as African-American managers. Now mm-hmm. there's two, Dusty Baker and- uh, and, Dave and, and Dave Roberts, right, right. So, and, so that's what I'm saying. You know, we've made progress, but we still have a long way to go because, I mean, there's no way in the world in 2021 we should be talking about those statistics. That That's just, that's just uh, you know, when you think about Jackie, he wouldn't have been too happy with the state of the way the, the minority hiring nowadays for sure. And I'm going to talk, I wanted to talk to you about that just about, well, the, first about players in, in Major League Baseball, brothers, you know, like, what is the mission of Major League Baseball right now? And also, like, you look at it in the early 80s, it was nearly 20% of the league was black. How disappointed that the number to you that the numbers are continuing to dip. And I remember you said something which was interesting. Travel teams, a lot of young kids in the inner city can't afford to go on the travel teams. But why don't the NCAA with college baseball, you know, like be able to give more scholarships, just like they give scholarships to basketball players from the hood, football players. You know, why can't they get baseball? Because then scouts could be able to still see them, even though they don't come out of high school, at least they get an opportunity to play big time baseball the collegiate level what what's been but what's major league baseball doing and how can the ncaa could help as well this is really a subject that well, i got to come back on your show so we can really talk about this because this yes, is sir. a big subject whatever i i don't want, i don't want to do it injustice by just glossing over because this is a, a really big issue when you're mm-hmm. talking about you know, kids in the pipeline playing sports uh scholarships and things of that nature i'm working with a few organizations now to try to get more players in the pipeline coaches teachers but this is really something that's really dear to my heart. And I don't want to just touch it. I want to really get into it. So I'll come back and so we can really get into this, this subject because it's really, really big. But baseball is doing what they can. I just wish they could kind of uh, expedite it and really push forward and keep it going. Because, you know, we've had different groups like RBI and we've had different right. groups that you know we've gotten to the community and done different things on a grassroots level. But we have to sustain it. You know, I think that we got to do a better job of keeping it going. What, what's encouraging to me, though, brother, is that uh, uh, you know, the young players nowadays, the former players, the Baseball Alliance, I think you've heard of the Baseball Alliance. Yeah, yes, indeed. 
I, I think that's great with Curtis Granderson, CC Sabathia, you know, Troy Hawkins, all these young brothers are finally getting involved where they're pulling their money, their resources together, and they're doing whatever they can to get it out there where they're putting together clinics, putting their seminars, you know, again, getting everyone involved in the mix from the bottom to the top. So I'm really, I give kudos to those guys and we're looking to get more involved in that. This is the infancy of it, but hopefully that continue to grow and in partnering with Major League Baseball, we can become even stronger, be better and grow even more through that kind of collective, uh, uh, you know, coming together and really making an impact. We we talk a lot about this stuff, but there's ways we can do it because we're losing a whole generation, especially African-American kids of the sport. Football, baseball, love the sports. I played them as a kid or whatever, but there's so much talent out there, bro, that we need to to really get these kids back into to make it affordable for them, like we talked about uh, briefly, uh, to the four gloves and bats and equipment. Mm-hmm. And it might be all about these traveling teams. You got to be able to uh, some way fund them in some way so they can go to some of these traveling teams. But hopefully we can get away from that and just bring it back to, you know, the sandlots where, where you don't have to, you know, be rich or whatever, or have good money to 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 play the, the great game of baseball. So there's a lot of issues, but I really want to touch on this yes, a little sir. deeper. So I'm going to just tap on it, but hopefully we'll come back soon, maybe during spring training or whatever. We can talk more at length about it. Oh, that- very dear in my heart, but I want to really delve into it and dive deep into it so we can talk about what's really going on. That'll be, no, that'll be great. And and we see something that's going on too, not just in baseball, but in football, especially with the lack of coaching, uh, black coaches being hired. Dusty Baker, who's one of my favorite people ever. And I love what he said. He said, the lack of African-Americans leadership is a dangerous trend. Dangerous trend. What do you think needs to be done from that standpoint? I think we know what we need to do. I, what's making me a little bit nervous because it seems like even though I know baseball is, is moving into this analytics uh, stage, and that's fine. I believe in some of the analytics and stuff. But 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 what they're doing, what I see happening is that they're still is excluding a group of people in that mix because it seems like most of the general managers are all pretty much Ivy League grad, graduates. Mm. Uh, they all kind of look the same. And, um, and and it seems like the people there, they've been hiring since they've been in power is people that look like them. So how do we get brothers into the pipeline, you know, Hispanics into the pipeline, all people in the pipeline where where they can be seen and heard and get a, a, a legitimate interview. That is what we need to do. So I know that Major League Baseball has a lot of diversity plans set up and they are doing some things and it's going to probably take a little while to get the ball rolling. But that's what we got to tap into because, you know, you hear people talk about getting into the pipeline. We hear that all the time. But but that you have to be in there because if you're not in that group, and you're not being seen or interviewed or exposed to the language, you know, the 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 you know the you know the way they do business nowadays, which is totally different. I mean, scouts are almost obsolete. You don't really see scouts and bird dogs anymore in the stands. You see a lot of guys with computers, you know, they're they're they're, they're putting together the data and they're deciphering the data, but baseball is played with a heartbeat. That's right. And if I human beings and computers can't gauge that, okay. That's right. Some Just like in music, you can't have computers play. Exactly. It's mm-hmm. all that pure got to be the, from the soul and that's the way I think baseball should be you know being able to let these players be themselves and and not just judge them on a number okay because numbers can't quantify everything okay if you can't quantify heart desire okay if you're a good person character you know mm-hmm. computers can't, can't can't equate that okay so that's why I think that we're losing that that element of, of feel and and touch and, and, and that human one-on-one. And uh, I'm praying that, that we'll kind of get back to center. I feel it kind of going a little bit, you know, left and right, 
but we need to bring some of that back. And like I said, I have nothing against analytics. I think that that is useful, but we have to take the old school and the new school and kind of bring it together. You know, mm. and that's when you have a cohesive winning championship team and championship players. Wow, that wow, that that's amazing analysis, uh, Sir Willie. And I'm here with the great Willie Randolph, 39th episode of Where They At, six-time All-Star, second baseman, also six-time World Series champion, two as a player, four as a coach, as well, well all with the Yankees. And also, we won the WBC, which I'm proud of. Also, the World Baseball Classic. Yes, yes, and know, the world. We we have the best players in the world, I believe. Now. The, 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 you know, the Asians have really gotten better in Korea, Japan. They're very competitive. They moved up the ladder. The Latino uh, community are mm. tremendously talented baseball players. But I feel like this is our game, okay? Mm -hmm. So the first year or two, we didn't do too well. We, we came in at, at the semifinal, but we yeah. finally won a few years ago. And I'm so proud of that because, you know, now we could say that we are the best in the world for that particular year. But it just it just mm -hmm. it exposes the fact that there's so much talent right here in the United States of America. That's right. Nurture and grow that that talent. And when we do that and focus on that, mm -hmm. we'll win WBC titles almost every year. But the talent is just tremendous all over baseball. The Cubans are outstanding. I mean, we're going on the line how these teams are just elevated the game in the yeah. World Baseball Classic. Now the Italians playing a lot more. Israel, I mean, they they, yeah. they got more competitive. Australia and the so, Dutch. So when the you Dutch. Look at, Mm -hmm. Oh, and Canada is always very competitive, very tough up there. So, so I love the fact that there's a worldwide uh, communication with everyone competing. But, but I think that we all have to stay on our game because uh, you know a lot of the teams are getting better. Everyone's starting to really grow in the game. So, as Americans and and, and WBC, we got it. We got to we got to represent for sure. That, that's right. That's right. It ain't the green belt, the WBC. It's the other WBC. <laughs> You're a boxing guy. I know you are. <laughs> well, but but sir, we lost Dick Allen as well. And he's someone you talked about fondly in your book. He's someone that was a menacing hitter in his day. I mean, tremendous. And people don't know that he's a great singer. Like doo-wop and R&B and stuff. People don't know that. But but please share your thoughts on Dick Allen and, and another player that really influenced so many um, so many uh, African-American ball players and, and Fergie Jenkins talked about him a lot on the fourth episode of Where They At. So please add to uh, his greatness. I have a great uh, Dick Allen story. First of all, I, I was talking to my boy, Rich Gossage, Goose Gossage. Oh, morning. the goose. <laughs> yes, he was up in Colorado. He's hanging out. We talk every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But Goose came up with the White Sox. And at that time, Dick Allen was first base for the White Sox. MVP, 72. He took mm -hmm. him under his wing to this day. Was when I asked, well, this morning he was he was in tears. He was I cannot believe this is this is my hero. This is my mentor. So so uh, everyone loved Dick Allen because he was just a giving person. All right, mm -hmm. I came up through the big leagues to the Pirates, right? You know that. Yes, um, sir. Into the big leagues. My first big league game was in Philadelphia. Okay, we played in the mm -hmm. Phillies, right? So I'm up at the plate my first time up. Went right into the lineup. Randy Stanton got hurt that that day, so I was in the lineup. Okay, Tommy Underwood, left-handed pitcher, was pitching. Okay, I got up there on the, maybe the third pitch of their bat. And a line drive thing off the middle, okay? So uh -huh. I'm like, oh, I'm shaking in my shoes. I get pumps <laughs> right now just telling you about it. So I ran for one first base, hit the bat, coming back, and I got back to first base, and I felt this presence around me. I, it felt like a, in fact, he was a black Paul Bunyan. I mean, this guy was huge. He yeah. was like bigger than life. Yeah. I mean, he was so big. And I remember going back to first base, and he kind of sashayed around to the bag to hold me on. And he goes, son, he said, nice, nice going, kid. He said, um, it was, the, it was the vice, basically. He said, 
don't ever let anybody ever play your position. Play every day. And at the time I'm listening to him, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh my God, I can't believe he's even talking to me, okay? But I kept that in my mind for my whole career. And even over the years that I was with the Yankees, where I played 13 years in a row for the Yankees on opening mm -hmm. day, I always went to spring training fighting for a job. I never took for granted, and it's talking to the kids now too, never take for granted that, that your job is gonna be safe. Work hard, always post up every day. And I remember keeping that in my mind that every spring that I went to spring training, this is after the seventh year with the Yankees where I was the captain, I was solidified. Mm. I always went to spring training knowing that there's someone gonna compete with me and try to take my job. So I remember him saying to me, son, don't ever let anybody play your position. You go out there and play every day. And I never forgot that. But I just remember looking at him as this, this almost like bigger than life figure. And his forms were like, like Popeyes, man. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man. But 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 Allen over the years, man, I, I just felt like um, he could have done anything he wanted on the field. Like I said before, he just has such a rhythm to him, which is why I'm sure he loved music because that's why I love music because it's all part of that universal rhythm that you got to have. That's right. So that's right. I go to the plate, I'm, I'm humming some miles in my mind. I'm, I'm, I got a little, little beat going on with, with the drums. And uh -huh. that, that sets up my cadence when I'm at the plate, when I'm up there rocking and getting ready to see the pitch or whatever. Yes, yes. Instrumental, and I remember, uh, you know, guys like Dick Allen have that swagger where you can almost see them kind of in the rhythm of a music in their mind as they throw right. the diamond or whatever, you know. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's like a pulse that pulse, you know what I mean? You and you create it in your mind in the situation you're in, you know what I mean? Definitely, it's the rhythm and sports and baseball, and it's all a rhythm, man. It's all part of a, a you know, like, like a cadence in, in a certain way, it's like ballet, you know, but mm -hmm. it's a rhythm. So, oh man, <laughs> ah, no doubt. And 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 speak. And it's funny, like you said, what Dick Allen said to you about you know always make sure that you're ready each time, you know, ready and never let anyone take your position. It's funny. You had a military type of attitude growing up in Brownsville, Brooklyn, because you knew if you did not have that focus and that discipline, you would end up in the streets, you know, and your parents like they they went through so much. I mean, your mom was picking cotton when she was pregnant with you, you know, and 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 your dad like hustled and he became a cab driver move, when you moved up to Brooklyn and everything. But they they valued hard work. You know, I'm yes. sorry, you know, so talk about that, how that was instilled in you to have that discipline in your mind to make sure you did not leave no stone unturned. Thanks for asking that question, because, um, you know, it's so funny because, you know, people look at my athletic ability and they always assume that that, you know, when my father played or he taught me how to play or this and that total opposite, man. I um, my dad didn't really know how to catch a baseball. How ironic is that? I mean, we would play catch in the street every once in a while. Randy, never Mr. Really Randy had, Randolph. <laughs> or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. But what he did teach me was like we were just talking about. Severe work ethic, man. You know, discipline, you know, get up every morning and out. And he started driving cab later on in life, but he used to work the jackhammer, you know, to submit. He's come home every Oh, whoo, so I know. His forearms were like. <laughs> yep, yep. You know, heavy construction. And, and I watched him every day get up at five in the morning, you know, go to work, come home, eat, you know, take a shower, eat and, and do it again every day. So I, I think that the biggest gift my dad gave me wasn't the fact he taught me how to turn a double play or hit a home run or how to run bases or whatever. He taught me a severe work ethic, okay? Mm -hmm. That you have to post every day, work hard every day and you can't take anything for granted. So when I think about my dad, that's one of the things I think about is, is how he kind of instilled that, that, that will to really work and be best, be the best I can be, you mm -hmm. know? 
class. Mm-hmm. So I remember in the summertime, you know, we we looked out for each other because you know how it is when you when you're in a tough neighborhood, you know, you realize it was a gang element. Yeah. So drugs involved. There was violence. Not like today where they're shooting each other, man. You know, we we would settle things with our fists. That's right. Back in the day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had the neighborhood cliques and stuff like that and little gangs and stuff like that. But but I knew from an early age though that I wanted to be a baseball player. I knew I wanted to play sports. So I had this military background uh, mindset where it was all about steak and potatoes, getting your rest and everything. So right. so when I when some of my boys were out hanging out, running running behind the girls and and hanging out and partying. I was always in bed by 10 o'clock because I had to get up next day and play ball. And mm-hmm. I, my guys used to get on me early on. I'm like, man, come on, let's hang out. What are you doing going to bed? I know, man, I, I got to get my rest. I got a game tomorrow. You got a game somewhere you can play? I No, 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 I got to get my rest. So that was the discipline that I had at an early age. That's why when I when I got to the pros, I had that mentality already, okay? Even as a 21-year-old, I mean, I was be, uh, a little mature on my, 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 my years. So that's what really kind of fueled me is that upbringing from my mom being there for us all the time. You know, I, I got a lot of, I hope I can say, I got a lot of ass whoopings back in the day. That's for sure. <laughs> so my homework done, kids. If I didn't do my chores, kids. If I didn't, if I, if I didn't disrespect my, my, you know, my mom or my aunts and uncles. Hey, my dad, he, 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 let, he let me know about that. And, and actually, it kept me straight. It really did. Because I don't think if I, if I didn't have that discipline, then I really don't think that that I, I would have been who I am. Because I could have really teetered on the other side real easy. I grew up in the same neighborhood with, you know. Mike Tyson and, you know, Bernard King, uh, World Be Free at at the time, uh, uh, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, all these great athletes, but we all grew up in this melting pot. I remember a guy named Phil Sellers, who was a great basketball player. Yeah, right. But he was a schoolyard legend, Phil Sellers. Mm -hmm. So we grew up in that environment, but but we had a lot of talent there. And, And it's funny too, because even the guys that I played with who were always better than me or a little older than me, I think that's why I was good play with better talent so because it, it kind of uh, inspired me and, and pushed me a little bit mm-hmm. but a lot of those cats didn't make it because they made the wrong choices you know they got involved in the gangs you know they they might have done something unscrupulous where they might have to go to jail or whatever so I just thank God every day that that, that he touched me enough to stay out of trouble I had great family background with with good mentors and aunts and uncles that kept us on our toes. So I, I, I pray that, that that these young kids listen to their elders, listen to their mentors, because it worked for me. And uh, when I think back on my book and how I wrote things, a lot of it had to do with upbringing, how I was able to to really get through a really uh, trying time in my in my young, long life where I had to got, get out of the ghetto, get out of the situation and open my mind to things that I can really uh, grow grow with. Willie, you know, the, the Billy Martin of the barrio, you know, uh, Gali Gonzalez, Gal- Galileo Gonzalez, you know, he was that cat that that tough love. And, and, it, and, and it, it was it it, it kind of suited what you were about. <laughs> it made me tough. You know, it made me understand that, that you know, you got to be thick skinned or whatever. And you have to take those hits. You got to take those those body blows sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I remember at the time. I felt they were picking on me or getting on me or whatever, but no, they were just toughening me up a little bit. Let me know that, Hey man, you know, you're going to make it, you're going to, you're going to do something really special in life, but you know what? Hey man, we're, we're going to push you. And, and that's what they did for me. All those guys. Cool thing about it too, is I still see a lot of these brothers to this day. I spoke, I spoke with Yogi Cruz and, and my a buddy named Nani, who who's a preacher now and everything. So, uh-huh. so the cool thing about my upbringing is that, that, you know, you still, can can share where you are at this point in your life with the guys you grew up with or whatever. So that fraternity, that bond, that brotherhood will always be there. And that's that's always special because not many of us can count on maybe one hand or two how many friends we have that we knew way back to elementary school and high school. Not mm-hmm. many. 
That's yeah. right. And at, at Tilton High School, Al Sharpton, were you all in the same class? Al Sharpton <laughs> was a year behind me. He was along with my wife, Gretchen. But I remember I, I, I being, at being head of the student union. He was he was, he was throwing the pot back then, too, man. He had the curlers in his hair. And yeah, everything. yeah. Right. <laughs> Bro, you know curlers in your hair, man. He was one of the first guys. He had his little conkling going down. And that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so he's ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah, he was, man. But he was always fighting for the cause, man. He was always out there, you know, uh, you know, fighting for students and what and, and equal rights and all that, and all that stuff. So again, I, I I see him every once in a while at this. Uh, at, at the cigar club uh, up in the city when I go to the Havana club and uh, he's still doing great things. I'm real proud of the brother, but yeah, Al, bro, Al was right there, man. Uh, again, doing, uh, uh, getting in good trouble. They say, God, my yes. Said, good. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and shout out to Al Sharpton. Cause he, he featured me as a guest on his show when I, uh, when I released my album in 2018. So shout out for him, yeah. have me on the show, you know, absolutely. And uh, while, and, and, and Tilden only one other player, uh, baseball player played in in the big Sid Gordon, who did pretty well too. So two y'all represented Tilden the fullest. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. And we didn't have a great great program there baseball wise. Mm -hmm. Our football team was decent. I had my my brother Terry Randolph played. Uh, went to AIC, which is the American National College up in Springfield, Mass. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a small school. AIC. Uh, I think Bruce Laird is a Hall of Famer. The safety for the Packers. Wow. He went there. But my brother Terry played played for the Jets for a year. Went uh -huh. to Green Bay for a year. Only played a couple of football tough game, so he didn't stay around too long. Mm -hmm. But but remember a guy named Greg Murphy. He played for the Jets. Yeah, right. Yeah. Lineman also Tilden. So but this again, mm -hmm. football guys. Uh, and, and Greg Murphy played with the Jets for a couple of years. And my brother, Terry, who I'm so proud of, my wow. best friend, uh, he played two years in the league too. So um, so we had a lot of talent. I mean, I can name a few of the cats that came through the pike. But um, mm. but again, you know, I, I, I'm blessed that, that I was able to, uh, you know, stay straight as far as, you know, staying out of trouble because, you know, that element was all, all around us all the time. So uh, right. kudos to the people that helped me, you know, make, make me who I am. When you got the call for the big show, uh, July 29th, 1975, you know, was the date, you know, and but I in your book, you you told a story and, and I'm going to I'm going to plug your book once again, because people need to, to read, uh, read this great experiences, the Yankee way playing coaching in my life in baseball, make sure that you all read that book by Mr. Willie Randolph, his autobiography, but you and Gretchen were driving up to Pittsburgh from like West Virginia. Oh, God. When I was reading that story, I was like, what is going on? Like, you know, please share that story. That's deep. That was crazy, man. <laughs> we got the call. Like, I actually was after a night game and I got a call from my manager saying you get called to the big leagues. So now, you know, I mean, I had my wife who was like seven months pregnant. Uh, we lived in a little small trailer park uh, somewhere and ran West Virginia. <laughs> now, 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 and you know, a famous uh, Randy Moss is from Rand. That's right. Virginia. Absolutely. Him and Jay Will and Jay White Chocolate, Jason Williams. Right. Yep. <laughs> we, it was a rough area, but I had to go back to the ball, that to the apartment, pack up all my stuff, pack up, you know, my, my family, and mm -hmm. uh, we had to jump right in the car. So I got that, this little hoop D that I had. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I've been a, a Ford LTD or something like that. LTD, it was right. LTD, yeah. <laughs> I remember, uh, getting in the car and just driving. I, I was, I was floating. I, I didn't. I was entire. I just played the game. I was entire. I didn't care. I'm saying I'm going to the big league. Are you kidding me? All right, so I'm in the car driving. So I'm like, I don't know, maybe six, seven miles into the trip, maybe or six or seven hours into the trip, and I see these lights come on behind me. I'm like, oh man, I said that's speeding. I'm like going fast, so I pulled over to the side. So I'm saying, okay, I'll get a ticket. I'll I'll just play it and keep moving on because I I got to get to the ballpark, get, you know, get some sleep, go to the game. Mm -hmm. So the guy 
pulls me over, comes up, and uh, he, it was like one of those, like, you in a heap of trouble, boy. And then, <laughs> that's right, that's right, boy. We remind me of one of those situations, man. Oh, I said, oh, my goodness. So I'm thinking he's going to write me a ticket. The guy tells me to follow him to the, the station. I'm like, and I, I, I didn't want to start explaining things because he was like, I don't care about baseball. What are you talking about? Just mm-hmm. So I'm driving back, following him through these like like backwoods and stuff going through. Oh, ended up being like, like a little makeshift, uh, like holding cell, I guess you will. So I go in there, I, you know, and, and I'm thinking to myself, I look at my wife thinking, oh my God, I, I just got nervous. I didn't know what this guy was going to do because I never heard of anybody actually, you know, taking me to a pre, just give me a ticket. I'll pay the ticket and I'll move on. Yeah. So I started thinking all kind of crazy stuff, being in the South and everything. I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on. So I actually got there. I took a deep breath. You know, the guy made me pay cash. I guess I mean, that's what he wanted me to do. I looked to my left and I saw a couple of people in this holding cell, like they weren't in too good a shape. So I remember just really just, just finishing up, giving them the money and getting in my car and getting out of there or whatever. But it was one of the most scariest points in my life. I'm looking at my wife and she's pregnant and she's terrified. And we're still not understanding why you're taking me to this. Where are you taking me? I don't know where I'm going here, but I couldn't tail it out of there. So I basically just followed his orders and I was praying the whole way that this wasn't some kind of game that we're playing here or whatever, you know? So I actually got through that. Uh, I got on the road and I don't know when I got there, I did slow down a little bit. I'm not sure if I was speeding. Really. <laughs> uh, I got there, I got maybe three hours of sleep straight to the ballpark and that's when i got my first mate gene kidding as tommy underwood wow great dick allen yeah so that was um and again i'm 20 21 years old actually i was 20 at the time because i was still in the minor leagues so i'm sitting there going oh my goodness man but um uh those those experiences made me stronger man they made me strong made me grow up quick and uh and my wife and i when we sit back now we talk about those times and it makes us proud of of each other that we're able to get through a lot of those early years and for you to have that woman that rock in your life during that time from when you were way back as kids, you know, that that's that wow, that authenticity. Our family lived on the 14th floor. We lived on the third floor and we knew of each other. We didn't start dating until uh, probably junior high school or, or high school when we started dating. I was mm-hmm. flirting a little bit. She was flirting with me. I would show up, but I was playing ball and stuff. I would show up in front of her, you know. But she, but she knew nothing about sport, which is a beautiful thing. Because more like, more like she married me because I was gonna beat something, you know. She was just like, you know what? I think he's kind of cute, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Me every minute of the day, and 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 talk about being strong. She raised four beautiful kids, and we got three wow. beautiful granddaughters. So that, 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 that's, that's my girl. That's my girl. She's the best. You had a great friendship with Willie Stargell. God rest his yeah. soul. Quickly talk about, you know, what he meant to you. Well, well Pops took me under his wing right away. Uh, again, we, I'm around with guys like Dave Parker and Al Hall, <laughs> Bob Robinson, Steve Blast, all these great, great, you know, uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. And the and, diversity of the team yeah, had everybody, right. all United Nations. Mm-hmm. First team they ever put an all black team out there. Everybody on the team, Doc Ellis. Doc Ellis came up, came over with me. Mm-hmm. But Doc Ellis there also. All right. Speaking of curlers in your hair, he had curlers in his hair also. <laughs> after the, after the playoffs, he literally came out. He had him in, in the bullpen, which was kind of a rebellion at the time. But um, but I remember Willie took me under his wing. Uh, I remember right before one of the playoff games, we lost to the Big Red Machine. In 1975, and we went out to dinner. First time with some good fine wine, you know, some, some great, mm-hmm. great food. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this guy is actually taking me under his wing. So we went through that series. We got swept by the big red machine. Mm-hmm. And that's when I um, got traded. Uh, when I went to Winterball, mm-hmm. and that's when I got traded to the Yankees. Okay. So after that, I go from, uh, you know, the legacy of the, of the big, the big uh, lumber company, which is mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh Pirates, to the New York Yankees, where I'm rubbing elbows with, you know, 
Roy, Roy White. Chris Chambers was my first roommate. Yes. Ropes or whatever, you know. I mean, I mean, they they put me with him for a reason because he's a class individual and he knew that he would take care of me and look out for me or whatever as a rookie. Mm-hmm. So back then we had roommates. Nowadays no one has roommates anymore, but they oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> hey, most of the players couldn't afford their own room because if you if you wanted your own room, you had to pay the extra for that or whatever. Okay? Wow. Like, But back then we didn't make that kind of money. So we had roommates. So Mm -hmm. I was happy for that because it gave me an opportunity to um, to hang out with Chris. And he taught me ropes along with Roy White. Wow. And and, and speaking of the Yankee teams of 76, 77, 78, all through. I mean, Bronx is burning New York City, 70s. Like, but. I mean, the cast of characters, Thurman Munson, Greg Nettles, and then Reggie Jackson joined you, and then Billy Martin, who had hands. I didn't know your hands like that. I read that in the book. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Bill, Billy was pretty quick, man, you know. <laughs> and he was good. He was sucker puncher, too. Whatever. Watch out. Put <laughs> your back on him, because he, he'd give you one of these and you, when you weren't looking or whatever, you know? But anyway, um, I, I, I just couldn't have been more blessed to be in a situation where it just was the right place, the right time. You know, Mickey Rivers came over with me. So that was the infusion of speed. Yes. We, we already had you know, some really good players. I mean, come on, you think about it. We had a lot of good players. Sparky Law was still there, you know, again, Thurman and Nettles and all these cats. Ooh. They just needed a little, little spice, a little spice of, of, of youth and speed. And Mickey and I brought, it, brought that to them. Um, Doc Ellis was finished. His, his career was almost over. But if you remember, though, he won. He won 15 games for us that year. That's he right, 76. Along with mm-hmm. Ken Red, who came over. But I just remember um, being living almost like in, a, in my mind a fantasy land where I actually couldn't believe that here I am, kid from Brownsville, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. playing in my hometown in front of all my families and friends, uh, all my school teachers, all the guys I used to hunt, hang with or whatever. I went through a lot of tickets, that's for sure. <laughs> but, but I didn't care, man. But, but it was just so storybook, bro, because again, it was the first time the Yankees were relevant again. You know, they had some lean years in the early 70s, mm-hmm. but when they built a new ballpark in 76 after being in Shea Stadium the year before, yeah. it was time for an awakening, for a new beginning. And we had the right pieces to put together then. And with Billy being at the helm, who was the type of manager we needed at the time, we needed someone like Billy who was going to instill this us against the world mentality. Mm-hmm. That's what Billy was a street fighter, like you said, but he, he took no prisoners and he didn't believe in fraternizing. He said, we're going to come out there and we're going to kick your ass every day. So we needed that type of attitude, being tough New Yorkers, being New York Yankees, uh, being in a situation where, you know, well, our, our history was starting to kind of wane a little bit. But now we were on the cusp of bringing that back again, where it was all about championships. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Ivan was willing to spend money. Uh, he was willing to bring in quality free agents like Catfish Hunter and the later on other guys like Dave Winfield. Yes. So we the nucleus of a great, great, great uh, team. We just needed to tweak things a little bit. And once 676, and we, we were embarrassed. The Big Red Machine beat us in four mm-hmm. games, okay? Mm-hmm. Listen, the Kansas City series was, was a great series. Uh, that was our, like our World Series because it was so emotional. But mm-hmm. when we got to the series, back then they didn't have – they didn't have um, days off. We, we would go from one game right into the next game. So there was no mm-hmm. rest or travel time. So we went from Kansas City right to Cincinnati, and uh, they just steamrolled us there. We had Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench, uh, you know, Tony yeah. Perez. Ooh, George Foster, <laughs> Dave Concepcion. Big Red Machine, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they, they, they beat us up. So we, but we learned from that. That was a good experience for us, bro, because um, now it's like, okay, we were embarrassed, but you know what? We knew we were better than that. So in 77, 78, that set up, set it up for us. We knew that we can get back in 77, which we did. 
now we got the pride. Now it's like, okay, now the Yankees are back. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Back in the championship field. And then 78, uh, when we bought it, you know, well, we bought Reggie in 77, 78, but mm-hmm. when we even fueled even more, that made us even better. Right. So it was, it was, it was time. It was time for us to kind of get back to dominance. It was time for us to really kind of establish, you know, the Yankees were back and we were looking to win. Uh, Billy was the right guy for the job, but, but, you know, Billy always kind of self-destructive, man. You know, I love Billy, yeah. but man, he couldn't, he couldn't get away from the alcohol, man. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and he, he was such a winner that, you know, he drank when we won to celebrate, but he drank even more when we lost. And that's a bad combination, man. And I say that respectfully because I love Billy. Billy took care of me. He was like a father to me. Whatever. Billy yes. took care of me. I was yes. with a few young players that excelled on the Billy because, you know, Billy and I had a relationship where, you know, we, it was a respect. A lot of players would be intimidated by Billy. I wasn't intimidated by him. He saw a street toughness in me. Mm-hmm. And, I think and he, your discipline, you know. Yeah. And, and he also second baseman. So we had that little kinship and everything. So I just remember it was sad for me because I thought Billy, if he could have just, you know, stayed even keel through the whole thing and then get in the fights with George, the Bronx Zoo, the whole thing, Bronx mm-hmm. burning. If we, if we didn't get into all that, I think he could have managed us for 10, 15 years. And we won a lot more championships, but, but he just couldn't, you know, keep, you know, keep his demons away. Wow. It would have been deep, uh, like if Billy Martin stayed and then you ended up playing We Are Family in 79. You know what I mean? Like that could have happened, right? Like that would have been something. <laughs> that would have been, uh, and that was the year that we actually didn't win. That was the year we didn't win. We won yeah. 78. We lost in 70. What's that? What's that? We pressed my memory. 79. Oh, uh, 79 was the year. Yeah. Uh, you finished in fourth in the AL East, you know? We got in 80. And then we- Billy came back. <laughs> we lost in 1980 to Kansas City and mm-hmm. Dick Bowser went over to Kansas City and that's where we lost them. That's right. So yeah, that would have been cool to be able to go back and play with Pops and those guys. But they instilled so much confidence in me though, man, because they, you know, I remember Willie saying to me, and I didn't really, you know, it kind of was like, what, what, what do you mean? And he said, hey, hey, they used to call me slick. <laughs> uh, that's another long story because I'm from New York. You know, people that are not from New York think we're all slickers, you know what I'm saying? Right, 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 right. <laughs> He always beat me up all the time and say, um, you, you think you tough, huh? <laughs> I heard those guys think they tough or whatever. He's just a slick sir, that's all. He used to get my, <laughs> if you had thin skin, you could not survive. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I remember him beating me up all the time. So he used to call me slick. So he say, slick, slick, come in. He said, hey man, congratulations on the trade. He said, when you go over there, he said, play, he said, you know, people are gonna be watching you, okay? They're not winning over there right now. You come from a winning situation. He said, go over there and show those guys how to win. Now that blew me away. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm 21 years old. And you're telling me, you see enough in me, and you're telling me to go over there and teach those guys how to win. It just gave me so much inspiration. Gave me such a kick, man, to go, wow, man. You know, I'm better than I think I am, maybe. But I, he saw some goodness in me and maybe possibly greatness, but, but I didn't see it. And he just basically said, hey, man, you got it, man. You go over there, you carry yourself like a Pittsburgh Pirate, but you're a Yankee now. He said, you know what? He said, man, go over there and show those guys how to win. And I right. was like, wow, that was deep for me. And I just went over there and carried myself. And I learned, again, those guys propped me up, all the Thurman months and the Roy Whites, all those guys propped me yes. up. But I learned from them, which eventually ended up being honored to be captain of the team. So when I think about, about who I am and where I'm today, I, I can talk for hours, brother, about, about all the guys that, that inspired mm. me and lifted me up and taught me how to play the game. And, and, and that's why, for me, 
the disappointment I'm managing again is, is so deep in me because yeah. I wanted to be able to continue that legacy and give it to a lot of these young brothers that are coming up behind me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because we need, we need role models. We need people that we can say, okay, you know, I can tap into this guy. He can help me or he can show me the way. Uh, the disappointing about thing about me not getting a chance to manage again was that I, I wasn't able to finish that. Now as a coach, I did, you know, mm -hmm. you still make it as a coach again, the WPC, the Olympics and everything, mm -hmm. but, but we need, managers in the, on the big league level okay on center stage showing what we're capable of doing yes sir yes sir and and i wanted to i'm, I'm going to talk with you a little bit about that a little later and 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 go glove you know what is up with you never winning a gold glove? I mean, because Billy Han Billy Martin showed you how to be able to get have quick hands. And then also, too, back in the day when you were young, those fields, those hops, you had to be ready. You know what I mean? So but now but 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 how disappointing was it that you never won a gold glove? Because you, you were against Frank White. You were against Lou Whitaker, who was born in Brooklyn, you know, um, but but you should have got one got in one of those years because you, you were slick, slick fielder and you ne did not make an error in the postseason either and i knew that i should have had a gold glove but you know what's funny when i talk to my brothers like Woodley whitaker and frank white and we watch <laughs> all the time i say you know what guys y'all might have the gold but i got the diamonds i got the diamonds <laughs> and I, I would like show them like a world like a world series ring or something like that i got the diamonds brother you okay you know but but i knew i should have won gold gloves back then it was kind of a, a political award in a way I didn't use Rawlings equipment. Rawlings always sponsored the trophy. I think there was a little bit of politics there. Now, don't oh. get me wrong. These, these are great players. Did now. you Wilson? Use Wilson, right? Did you use Wilson? Wilson. Uh, I, I, I used a couple of different gloves, but I was more of a Wilson guy back in the day. Mm -hmm. and, and and I know that I led second baseman on a lot of defensive categories. But but again, I I can't argue about those brothers. They were outstanding. Oh, of course, yeah. That's one thing that I would love to have put in my in, in, in my in my um in my trophy case. Now I did win a silver, silver bat, which I'm very proud Some of. Slugger. And 87, I, 87, right? Actually, 80. And I, 80, 80, okay, my bad, my bad. Mm -hmm. And you look at the guys that are on that list of one silver bats, oh, it's a who's who of, of great, great players. Robin Yao, uh, Reggie Jackson, you know, all these great, great players who are on that, on that team that year. So, um, so, but, but, but you're right, man. I, when I think about my career, not a lot of regrets, but I wish that I would have won one, at least one, and I know I could have, but again, like I said, I mean, it was a situation where I knew I was one of the better defenders in the league. I'm, I'm second all time in double plays in the history of baseball, you know, in the history of best. Think about right. that for a second. <laughs> Bill Mazeroski, uh, a former pirate, one of the best double play guys of all time. I'm actually second behind him in the history <laughs> of baseball. That and that just blew me away because I didn't really realize that. I'm not a stat guy, I don't get to all that stuff, you know, rest on your laurels. But mm -hmm. when I someone brought that to my attention. It really surprised me. I didn't realize that I turned more double plays uh, than just about anybody in baseball history. The 80s, where you really flourished as more of a as a hitter, too, as well as a complete player, for sure, because you just gradually got better and better and better. But what happened with the team in the 80s? Like, after 81, I mean, Don Manley, Dave Winfield, Ricky Henderson, yourself. Uh, I mean, the talent. Pitching, pitching, pitching. That's what it was. We mm. Pitching. You know, George was always enamored with, with the big slugger guy, like mm -hmm. Winfield or Ken Griffey Sr. I mean, mm -hmm. great players, no, no doubt. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you know, it's the name of the game is pitching. And we had a decent staff, but but we needed maybe a number three guy or a really good number two guy. We mm -hmm. always had a number one, maybe, whoever that might have been at the time. 
but we never really went into the free agent market and signed a lot of top-notch uh, pitchers or whatever. And I think that's what hurt us. Because if you look at the Yankees, we won more games in the 80s than any team in baseball. That's crazy. Yeah. We always won in the 90s uh, of wins, but mm -hmm. we just always fell short. There was a year or two with Detroit won. Uh, the years that Toronto they won back to back, mm -hmm. but, but again, we were right on their heels. It wasn't like they ran away with it. We still mm -hmm. won 90, 92 games, right. but they won 98, 100 or whatever. Right. So we Baltimore had, too. Baltimore won a couple of years too, right? Well, yeah, I think they were 79, I think. They won a 79. And 83, 83 too. There were a couple of years where we had great years, but you know, again, the Red Sox had one big year, but they lost. I said, yeah, I think they lost to the Mets, I think. That's right. One of the greatest moments of my life is seeing that. <laughs> Yeah. The bottom line is that we were primed to win in almost every year in the 80s. It's a shame that we did not win. Um, you know, and, and, and started out in 81 where we, we blew the World Series to the Dodgers. We should have won that series of the Dodgers with the Dodgers. Yeah. Right. right. We do nothing and they end up coming back and beat us four straight. First time they beat us after two tries. But, but mm -hmm. the bottom line is that when you're up to nothing in the World Series, you can't give that back. You, you yeah. can't. So that's one of the things that sticks in my craw about about my career in some ways that, and I maybe I'm spoiled. I, I, I most people might say, "Damn, well you got seven rings, eight rings, eleven rings." What are you doing, man? I'm no. greedy. I'm greedy, man. I'm used to winning, and I that's love right. winning. And so, um, '81 was something that that I feel like, um, uh, you know, we, we let slip away. And the same thing as a coach when and, and when the Red Sox finally beat us, so they came back on us. And I had Johnny Damon on the show. Yeah. Johnny Damon, I had him on the show. So at the 11th episode of Where They At, so he. We talked about that, you know, but he joined y'all later. He joined the Yanks later, you know. Great <laughs> teammate, Johnny Damon, great guy. Great yes, guy. In yeah, yeah. yes, indeed. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, uh, we 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 should have won a lot of. We did win a lot of games in the eighties, but we should have won a couple of championships for sure. No mm -hmm. And while you know what, if there's a wild card, there you go. If there's a wild card, yeah, you know, yep. absolutely. And and it's so funny because you said I'd rather be hanged for my errors of commission than my errors of omission. And that's what you were talking about. What is about winning, you know, kind of referencing to that, you know? Well, you know, that, you know, we, we were spoiled in a way. Mr. Steinbrenner, you know, he demanded excellence. He gave us an opportunity to win almost every year. And, and, and you know, winning is, is contagious, man. It's in your blood, man. It's in your DNA. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's hard to do. But 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 once you get a taste of it, man, you know, it's special. And you, every year you go to spring training, you know, you're looking forward to being in the fall dance. So um, uh, I'm blessed. I'm very blessed to be in an organization that's committed to that. Because not a lot, a lot of teams commit to winning. They say they want to win, mm -hmm. but the Yankees really put their money where their mouth is. And, and we have the, the greatest fans in the world. So that also gave us that extra kick and inspiration. How deep was it with you with the A's in 90, the favorites going in against the Nasty Boys and Lou Pinella, your former teammate, and 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 also the Red, I mean, the Reds, like, what happened in that series? What's up? Because you would have had another ring with another team. That was another one. See, I mentioned a couple. The Red Sox disappointment, the 81 disappointment. This might be even bigger, man. Oh. One in, in 89, okay? Yeah. So, so I'm like, okay. And then 88 was a disappointment. Right, exactly. Yeah. So here I am now. I'm with the Dodgers. I get traded to the to, to the Oakland A's in May of that year, 1990. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I'm back. I'm back with with Ricky again. I love Dave Dooley, Henderson, Canseco, McGuire, Connie Lansford. Bash, it was so bash. Now, right now, now it's funny because that was the first time being back in the in in, in the show uh, World Series since '81. So I, I had some lean years there where I was like, okay. So I was so blessed and happy to be back in that situation. I had a great series. 
I don't know why we felt like we could throw our gloves and balls out there and we were going to win, oh. but we took it for granted. It was, it was, it was a David and Goliath situation. This, mm-hmm. well, you know, the, 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 the Bash Boys, and you had this great young scrappy Lupinella team, you know. Mm-hmm. So we had all of that right there. And, um, and so we just didn't. You say, show what we took it for granted. That's that's a perfect example of a team that plays down to the level. Now, get, don't get me wrong, they had a great team, but we didn't show up to play, and that was disappointing. But I ended up having a great series that you know going into that, and uh, and then after that, obviously, I went to the Brewers, having one of my best years there. Yeah, ended up with the Mets full circle. So yeah, uh, we get that taste of, of of getting back to the World Series after all those years. It was just such a such a gift and such a blessing, and um, uh, it brought back all those memories that I had to draw on all, all the experience that I was taught back in the seventies and then mm-hmm. 81 and then having that knowledge going into the nineties where like, wow, man, you know, uh, this is pretty cool that I can take all the things I've learned and pass it to this point in time. Um, I think I might be a, a trivia question. Who was the only player to be in a world series in four different decades? I'm giving you the answer. Today, but I didn't know that. <laughs> Played or was involved in a World Series in four different decades: seventies, eighties, eighties, and two thousand. <laughs> that that oh, might be the only person ever, okay, to, to play or be a part. Of, I played in a couple of them, but to be a part of a World Series in each decade, pretty cool. Ooh, that's deep. No, no, no. I got look. I'm gonna look that up. I'm sure you're right. You're the only cat I'm here with the great Willie Randolph. 39th episode of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles and uh, Willie. Now, Gene Stick Michael. You know, like God rest his soul, and he gave you the opportunity, made you uh, put, made you assistant GM, uh, assistant under him, and then Buck Showalter. You know, was someone that 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 pretty much they spearheaded what the Yankees became. Pretty yes. much, you know, uh, talk about how they both were great mentors to you, and how you were a coach under Buck Showalter a year later. Yes, yes, yes. It's really interesting because when I retired in '93, actually the end of '92, mm-hmm. I went. Like you said, with Gene Michaels, who taught me uh, so much about the game. This guy was the real pioneer of, of, of on-base percentage and the way you look at base, on-base percentage. Right. Some of the early analytics, if you will. But Gene was ahead of his time. And that's really why I, I was with the Yankees for 13 years, because, you know, Gene saw my game was, was predicated on that kind of thing. Setting the mm-hmm. table, you know, getting on base, scoring runs, stealing bases. So uh, Gene took care of me and I learned a lot from him. Um, when I retired, George Steinbrenner, after I, that one year in 93, where he said, he said, Willie, what do you want to do moving forward? So I said, well, George, I really feel like I want to, I don't feel like I'm, I'm suited for a tie right now. I want to get out there and work. I want to work with the players. I said, so I would love to coach. He said, okay, fine. If you want to coach, uh, why don't you go down to Florida, uh, you know, work, work for about two or three months and learn the position. So that's what I did. I got Walter's blessings. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I adapted real well to the position. So starting in 94 is when I went to the big leagues, whatever. Now, Gene Michaels, uh, when you think about, you know, the Yankee run, the core four, he was architect behind all that. You know, he you know he nurtured uh, Bernie. Uh, I mean, when Jeter came up, he trusted me with Jeter, all these yes. cats. So he was the one that, 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 that was able to control George, if you will. Because, <laughs> I mean, they, he, he beat him up so bad. I don't know how he did it. But this guy is a saint because George was just hammering him all the time. But he kept us cool. He stayed fast when he wanted to do or whatever. But he just taught us how to be winners, man. And then bringing in Show Walter, which was a great hire. It's unfortunate that he didn't stay with us longer. Yeah, then we- they win the series right after. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and it's funny, 94 was weird because, you know, that was the other strike. That's right. You know, which, which is messed up. And First place in the AL East. Mm-hmm. On my way. 95, you know, that, that was weird because, you know, uh, I mean, Mariano gave that home run. We lost to, to the, the Indians that year. But but again, you know, that hurt Showalter because oh, it was Seattle. A- Seattle's the Ken Griffey. Right. Yeah, yeah. Seattle were, oh, that was crazy. So I got, I got so many. I got so many <laughs> I gotta come back and rap to you a lot longer. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Seattle was tough because that again, right at the doorstep, we were gonna take that next step, and that really hurt Showalter because he wanted to keep a couple of coaches. George had a practice of always, you know, firing a coach or two if we lost. Okay, to let you know it hurt a little bit. You know, he wanted to let you know he's pissed off, right? right. So Showalter, to his credit, stood up for a couple of his coaches, and that's why he had to leave. But he went to a good situation in Arizona. So mm-hmm. That's right. But, and, but then we start the, the official core four era with, uh, you know, young Derek Jeter. Bernie Williams was here, obviously. Andy um, Pettit. I don't know Andy Pettit. He mm-hmm. was a godsend because, again, he was the guy that kind of, you know, that calming effect. You know, he was, you know, respected in the game, played the game, knew how to handle the media. And so he was again, a great hire because he was the one that kind of settled things down for us and let us play, show mm-hmm. confidence in us, believe in us and let us play. So that that run will never be done again. Four out of five world championships, which is unparalleled. You will never hear that again. Um, the fact that we were able to dominate for that long we're against some really good teams, it shows you the, how special that group was. You know, mm-hmm. you know Tino Martinez and Paul O'Neill, Jose wow. Posada. I mean, all these, these great, great Yankees who, a lot of them were homegrown. A lot of these guys were guys That's who right. came through the system. That's so right. I made it even more special. You know, I, I just remember uh, that spring in 96, uh, we had a meeting. Uh, we had a dinner with all the coaching staff. Was there. Steinman was there, too. And we were trying to decide whether G was ready or not, Derek G was ready or not. Mm-hmm. And I remember the people in the room being real nervous about whether they put their name on that and everything. Because we had Tony Fernandez, who was on the end of his career. Mm-hmm. He had some injuries. Mm-hmm. But they weren't sure if Derek was going to make a lot of errors. Because if you remember, Derek came through the system really quickly. And uh, he was very erratic with his throwing. That's right. I said, listen, right. you know, those are just errors, okay? I mean, that those are physical things that we can work on. So I just remember being one of the few guys in the room that had the nerve to step up to George and say, George, if you don't yo-yo this guy up and down from AAA every time he makes an error and you give him to me and you're patient, you know what? If anything, he's going to give us an, an infusion of speed, which is what we need. Mm-hmm. And, he, and this kid can play. I didn't, I didn't know he was going to be a Hall of Famer. Number five overall in the draft, too, right? Number five pick or something like that yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah. He, he had the skills. There's no doubt about that. But you never want to put that pressure and say he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But he proved it easily. First timer to me. So so I, I, I said, George, just let me have him. And if you can tolerate some of his errors here and there, and he didn't make a lot because he worked his butt off. We worked our butts off with together. Then he would be fine. So I'm glad that George trusted me. I'm glad that I was, I had the confidence in myself to step up in the room and say, listen, I, I'll step out, you know, on faith in this mm-hmm. kid. And, and you know what? He's going to be fine. And so I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, that G to prove me right. And uh, yes. when you think about Bernie Williams, another guy I love, talking about music. Yo, guitar player. We worked together at uh, NJ Pack with Christian McBride's band. Yeah, like Bernie, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think he's the most beautiful cat. Yo, you know him. Yes, indeed. And so humble and, and, and looks at it like not because he's Bernie Williams. He expects to go out there like a lot of these athletes think, you know, he pays. To, he went to music school. He, he got his master's in playing like that's what it is. He, but but that's why he became the great baseball player. He was because of that discipline, humility. 
he's practicing on the plane on in the clubhouse, yeah. you know, in his spare time. I mean, he's he just um, a perfectionist in that, you know, he just one of those guys who, um, again, goes back to wanting to be best, you know, I mean, you, you, you aspire to be the best version of yourself. And that's Bernie Williams, man. I love him. Mm -hmm. No doubt. And, and the jam sessions, you got to talk about the jam sessions. I remember Roy White got you into jazz. Like he was telling you about train. Roy White was like, wow, you know, but talk about the jam, you know, Ron Guidry and then Paulie O'Neill played as well. Bernie. <laughs> we had a, we had a room down, you know, the old Yankee stadium had a lot of those underground, uh, you know, storage rooms and stuff. And it was enough room where we could put a drum set in there. Okay. Ooh. A good buddy in that mind. I don't know if you remember the great, Jack Scarangella. He played yes. with guys like Stevie Wonder, you know, Curtis Mayfield, mm -hmm. he played youngster back then. But Jack was a great, great Yankee fan, lived upstate, and he would come down to the games and he would come down there and we would, you know, keep time. And, you know, mm -hmm. he, he, you know I mean, Paul O'Neill was a pretty good drummer too. Ah, time yeah. too. Always good at it. So before the game, maybe two hours before the game, right after the batting practice, we go down there, get the maracas out and the tambourine, and, you know, guy would bring guitar. We just, we just jam, man. You know, I, I would just basically just watch it. I just maybe every once in a while play the congueros or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, I, but I wasn't going to uh, venture too much on, on, on the uh, on the drum. But Gidry was good, and Paul O'Neill to this day can still keep time and play the drums and stuff. And just recently, when Bernie does a lot of his um his uh charity work, you know, mm -hmm. Paul Simon stopped by maybe, yeah. or you 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 know Dave Valentine back in the day with the mm -hmm. great. Oh Valentine. God rest his soul. Oh man. You know, Huge Yankee fan, uh, you know. I, I'll give you a tour of my house another time, but I got thousands and thousands of CDs, man. Back in the day, that's right, CDs. ten thousand, right? Your collection over ten. Something like that. I don't know. Anyway, uh, back in the day when Tower Records was around, I used to spend oh. hours and leave there with, with boxes and boxes. That's of right. Uh, and on the road, we we would stop by that uh, and, and check out stuff or whatever. So mm -hmm. love the music, but yeah, we used to go down there and jam. And again, wherever we we, we had a little jam session. One or two of the guys in the group had a good night. You always see those guys take that rhythm into the field, man. It's beautiful to watch. And um, like I said, I'm looking forward to Bernie making more and more beautiful music. I think he, I think he might be working on a CD as we speak. I think. Oh, wow. So, okay. so, so, so we'll, uh, we got to get Bernie on the show. Uh, and so, yes, yes. You know, we're, we're, he's always busy doing something. But yeah, you got to get him on there when, when the CD drops. Sure. The, sir, now you went to the Mets, managed the Mets, finally got your opportunity being under Joe Torre, fellow Brooklyn man like yourself. You know, he gave you the, the knowledge and wisdom and you finally was a manager. And it's funny, you had the second highest winning percentage in the history of the organization. Um, and, you know, 2005. Quick turnaround, 13 game difference, I believe, in 2005, 2006, then NLCS. And, and, and Willie, talk about, I've talked to this with Tom Glavin about this on the 27th episode where, they, you know, we talked about what happened with, you know, um, with that series against St. Louis and how good you guys would have beat Detroit. You guys would have beat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we were right there, man. We had a phenomenal year that year. Um, even though we had a lot of injuries, I mean, and we never made excuses though. With the know? staff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Pedro got hurt. I remember Duque got hurt right before the series. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a lot of things go on. Morris Salou, who was one of my leaders, yes. uh, couldn't stay that year. But we didn't make excuses. Always next man up. And we did a phenomenal job of the guys. You had a young David Wright, of course. You know, yes. Reyes. Jose Reyes, right. Mm -hmm. uh, I just remember when, when Indy Chavez you know, made one of the most unbelievable catches I've ever seen. I looked at my coaches, man. I said, brother, guys, 
we're going to the show, man. We are going to the World Series. There's no way in the world that I thought that they were going to come back and beat us that day. Yeah. Now, after that catch, we made feeling really good about ourselves. We really were. And um, I remember having this real weird feeling. I have this real weird sixth sense about me when it comes to sports and stuff. Uh, when you feel something that you want to kind of get out of your mind, like I, it's a negative, you know, but you don't want to think it. I, I remember thinking that um, uh, Molina was due. Because he had a tough series, you know, young player, good player. And I remember, you know, watching him go through that series. And we were lucky that he didn't really hurt us. But I just had this feeling in my heart that he was going to do something, you know. Yeah. And, and, and I was hoping that they would keep the change up down. I had him in the change up. And, and, and I still, to this day, it, it gives me nightmares. But I just had a weird yeah. feeling about that at the time. And I kept thinking to myself, don't think about it. Just, 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 just go go away. And the next pitch, you hit it out of the ballpark. Oh, so man. Hey, and all God, sometimes they can be cruel. But, but, but I would not trade anything about that season, even though it ended in a sour note. Um, those guys gave me their heart and soul every day. That's right. The city was alive again. It wasn't all about the Yankees anymore. It was about the New York Mets. We had gotten back our piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. The fans were proud. They were out in full force. It was a fun team to watch, you know, mm -hmm. and we were on the right direction with a great nucleus of young players, but but also with, with Omar Manaya, who, who again, orchestrated a great team. I thought mm -hmm. we would be together. As, as two guys who really, you know, paving the way, really. This is like, you know, ground here with the, with, with the you know, Hispanic general manager and African-American manager. Mm -hmm. You know, we were breaking ground right there, you know. That's right. So it was something that, that I was really disappointed that we didn't finish. Obviously, uh, 07 was one of those years where yeah. you, you, can't, you can't even and, make it up. And, I mean, and, and what did you learn about that, that collapse, that, you know, seven game lead was 17 games ago. But what how did that help you grow as, a, as an individual, though? Because we all learn from experiences. Right. And, and, and the thing about it, it did help me grow tremendously. The sad part about it is that I wasn't able to, to put that in fruition in a way as I move forward. Because I think as a young manager, you learn lessons. And I think that, you know, even really good managers rely and revert back to things they've experienced or learned. Sometimes you have to get slapped down. You have to really feel deep, deep uh, disappointment to be a champion. All the teams that I've been on, it's never been easy. It's never been like, hey, we're good, we just win. It's always something that, like I talked about 76, where we got embarrassed by the big red machine. Mm -hmm. That motivated us moving forward for 77, 78. And, and even I can think about other years where we really were inspired by the defeat. So I felt like, you know, even though that year was just horrible and gut-wrenching, I felt like the team needed to taste that to get to the next level. As it turned out, they fired me unceremoniously in the middle of the night. And uh, that's something that always hurt me the rest of my life. But, but the bottom line was that uh, I felt like, you know, we were on the right path. You know, like you said, when we came into the mm -hmm. fold, you know, we, the Braves had dominated 13 years in a row. Mm -hmm. So just in itself, just knocking them off that perch, was an accomplishment, you know, and mm -hmm. then we took over the division. So, mm -hmm. so for me, um, uh, managers get fired, hired and fired. I get that. But for me, being an African-American manager, I thought that I was ready to really kind of take off and really be an inspiration for the Bo Porters behind me and some of you know, the Dave Robertses and all those mm -hmm. guys who, who were looking at me to kind of help lead the way. So for me, uh, uh, that's what that was what bit of, bit of sweet about it, uh, because I, I felt like um, I was just ready to kind of catch my wings and take off, you know, and really move forward. And, and Willie, was that a prime example? You know, I'm not 
and I'm not trying to have you bad mouth previous bad mouth previous ownership because now the Mets are owned by Steve Cohen and seen who knows what he's doing and everything. It seems like and he's passionate about it, but it's just a weird. It was part of the weird cycle of previous ownership, you know, like and it's been through the years. Like there's no excuse that you were fired. No excuse that you should have had the rest of the year. You earned it, you know. At and least and we, turn and we, it around. And we started playing better at the time also. I, I really don't know how to, how, how, to, how to even even explain what happened there. I mean, obviously, they have a right to, to make moves and make a change. Uh, uh, you know, Mr. Wilpon, I, we always had a pretty good relationship. Uh, it took me by surprise in a way when it happened, because like I said, I thought we were starting to, to get legs and get better as we move forward. Yeah. But I really don't know what happened there, man. It could have been some things behind the scenes. Uh, I know the expectations were really high. And I know New York sometimes is tough when you don't win. It's got to be a scapegoat. Maybe that's what I was. I don't know. But um, but I just, just feel that it was unfinished business there. I just felt like if we could have gotten through the year, we would have gotten our legs again. And then we could have kept our, our, our journey towards a world championship because the nucleus was there, the, the, the team was there, the, the finances were there. The fans were, were, were galvanized and rejuvenated. So I felt the energy when every time we went to the ballpark, we were getting ready for that new ballpark coming up. That's right, City Field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is ironic because um, uh, that would have been really cool to get go from Shea, which was, you know, past his time to a beautiful ballpark in City Field. But you know what, man? I, I, I think back with only fond memories. I still feel, I thank God for the privilege and the honor to have this opportunity. Life is sometimes not always, uh, you know, doesn't always treat you right, but that, that I wouldn't trade anything. Uh, I, I, I feel like, um, uh, you know, that experience is something I always have with me. And again, uh, something I can share with all my guys. I still, I'm still in contact with a lot of my boys from back in the day. We had a Zoom call about a month ago with Delgado, David Wright, Andy Johnson. That's right, on, on and SNY. On, yeah, SNY did, did right. Cliff Floyd, uh-huh. each other's chops and everything. But it was so cool for me to be able to reminisce with my boys. And they knew, they knew we were right there. They knew we were right there. But again, things happen in sports, it's unfortunate. Uh, but again, you know, like I said, the disappointing part for me was that I wasn't able to continue my, my, my quest to, to, to inspire young people through my management. Yeah, and you know what? But guess what happened? Uh, the Mets didn't have a winning season until 2015. So for six years after that, you see? So that's all I got to say. That's what happens sometimes. I, you know? I, I was rooting for them to do well. But again, like I said, I wish I was at the helm to really get them over the hump, man. That's, wow. that's life, brother. Who are the players you enjoyed coaching and, and or managing? I've, I've been so fortunate as a coach because for the most part, all my students have been, been great. All I do is just ask them to be on time and work their butts off. Mm-hmm. And every one of them have done that. Going Starting going from Derek Jeter, you know, to guys like Bobby Meacham, Andre mm-hmm. Robertson. These are names that, 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 that gave me their all. They say, Willie, you know, we respect what you do. Okay. Your resume speaks for itself. I want to be a sponge. I want to take up everything you got to say to me. And when they come to you like that and they open up and say, listen, man, I want to be able to learn from you. That's all you need. So now all I need you to do is be on time, work your tail off every day. And those were the guys. So, so I love players, man. So I, I don't, I, I, even the guys that, 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 that have to kick in the butt a little bit, I still love them because, you know, they still gave me a part of themselves and I know that I was able to make them better. So I don't really, I can't really think of anybody that, that I really can say that I didn't really enjoy coaching because as long as you're willing to, to put the team first and be best, 
then, then that's really all, all I want from you or whatever. So, I, you know, Bernie's my favorite. I mean, of course, Jeter, Tino Martinez. He was always a tough gamer. I love Jorge yes. Posada, you know. Yes. Um, you know, even when I got to Milwaukee, you know, I had guys like Ricky Weeks, you know, Prince Fielder. And Braun, too, right? right. Ryan Braun, another cat or whatever, who, mm-hmm. who, uh, who didn't know who really who I was at the time. But but when he found out who I was, he went crazy. He was oh, like, you know, wow. I mean, these people don't always know their history. They don't That's know their right. History. They'll Google you, okay? Yeah, that's they'll right. That's not who you are. He walked to the coaches one day and was going, Willie, your numbers are sick, man. <laughs> I didn't know your walk the strike ratio is off the charts. I'm looking at him like, and like, like, yeah, that was my game. But he was like blown away when he looked at my numbers. He never assumed or knew that that I had a decent career. And when he looked at my stats, he was like, Man, you know these kids. Are, man, your numbers were sick, man. I know, yeah, man. <laughs> your strike to walkway show was like crazy. How'd you walk that many times, man? You're not even a home run hitter, you know. <laughs> that did I? I learned from Galileo Gonzalez. That's <laughs> that's right. And and it's another example in Milwaukee. Speaking of Milwaukee, Giannis Antetokounmpo didn't know who Jason Kidd was, so he he googled Jason Kidd. He was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's all right. It's always Same good thing. when you're discovered. Now you can kind of really open up and talk. And now they want to know what's going on. What was it like? I mean, mm-hmm. how, did, how was it back in the day? How did you do this? How did you do that? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was always nice when they open up. So that's really what you look for in young players. It's people that, that, that are willing to uh, just surrender to the game and, and want to be best and give back and then take what they've learned and pass it on to the next generation. The current Yankees. It's funny. The Yankees in, in the 2010s did not even make the World Series. The last time that happened was 100 years earlier in the, in the decade of the t- 1910s, you know. what? And But they've contended. The Yanks have contended through the years. What, why have they fallen short, and how can they make things different in 2021? That's a good question. You know, it, it's funny because, you know, you think how great the Yankees have been, and, and, and that's almost unacceptable. You know, in certain ways. I mean, if Mr. Steinman had got best there, if he was alive, I mean, you know, I mean, it would have been a little hedge turn by now. But anyway, the bottom line is that you're right. You know, they didn't win since 09, but and they've been close, which is great, but that's not acceptable. To me, what the Yankees have to do is just look from the outside. And I do go to spring training with them, uh, work with some of the infielders and stuff every year, throw a little batting practice. Um, they are primed for the regular season. I mean, they're, they, they can compete with anybody. They're favored almost every year to, to compete. Uh, when they get to the playoffs, to me, um, there has to be adjustments made because you're seeing the best pitchers in the league, okay? You see number ones, number twos, and number threes are really good sometimes when you get to the playoffs, okay? Mm-hmm. I think the Yankees, because they live by the sword, which is home runs, and sometimes you die by the sword, okay? And I think that that's why I got like DJ LeMay, who is such an important part of bringing him back that's because right. he is a ball player. He's the definition of an all-around ball player that's willing to, to sacrifice, give himself up, and just beat you every day, no matter what. Whether it's defense, you know, making smart plays, putting the ball in play, hitting the ball in the ballpark. He is a total package. Mm-hmm. I think they need more of those kind of guys. Not, not just that kind of guy, but his approach, okay? To me, in the playoffs, you have to put the ball in play. You have to pick up those ducks from third base with less than two outs, okay? That's right. You can't on in scoring position. You can't um, afford not to pick up a sacrifice fly. Or when they're giving you a run when the infield's back, you got to be able to hit a ground ball. If you're striking out in those situations, then nothing productive can come from that. So mm-hmm. what I see is that they have to make those subtle adjustments during the playoffs to play, not, not really small ball per se, 
but but a version of that where mm-hmm. you got to bunt and get the guy over. Like you said, the last couple of years, I mean, you're watching the game and, and, and they're giving you a whole side of an infield. I mean, literally, you can drive four Mack trucks through that side of the infield and no one's trying to take advantage of that. Right. That's, that's unheard of. That, that's mind-boggling for me. They're giving you a hit. And there was a situation where I saw, I think, Toronto, not Toronto, Tampa Bay, Tampa. at a man at third base. And that was a tying run. And he had the whole side. And the guy that was swinging. Again, I don't mean to be negative and get on today's players. They're talented. They're great players. But you have to play the game right fundamentally. If you don't play fundamentals, then, then you can't. You, it's going to be tough for you to win. Okay? So that's the only thing that's a pet peeve for me about today's game is that, that fundamentally we're not executing. Okay, and at times in the game where you're trying to beat the other team, you have to execute. If you execute fundamentals, most of the time you'll win. Okay, it's not all about percentages and about you know the fact that you don't do this because of that percentage or that because that percentage or whatever. You know, it's about winning baseball games. Okay, and when when you're presented with an opportunity to score one more run than the other team, scoreboard will always tell you what you have to do. It will dictate the score of the game. Innings will tell you what you need to do, whether you need to get a guy over or you need a home run or a second or walk. Just take a walk. We need guys on base. Mm-hmm. OK, so those are the things that I think that the Yankees will try to fix. I think they understand statistically because that's a lot about analytics. They know that during short series, playoffs, wild cards or whatever, you have to almost adjust your game. And I'm sure they talk about that in the meetings, the hideous meetings. But you still have to bring on the field and execute it. And I think teams that win over the years, year in and year out, they play some semblance of that, you know, of little ball when you have to in tight situations. Because all the teams in the playoffs, they're all good. They're all really good teams, all good, good pitching, good hitting. So now what are you going to bring to the table that, that that's going to be different, that's going to set you apart from what the other teams are doing? And that's what I think that uh, moving forward, the Yankees have to bring more people in there that, that okay, swing, you know, Yankee Stadium is going to do some hitting on runs. You don't want to take that away. Mm-hmm. That's an asset. But, but you have to be flexible in how you approach certain teams, certain series, certain games, um, because you have to – it's a game of adjustments. Baseball is a game of adjustments. And if you don't adjust, what I see in baseball now is home runs, walks, strikeouts. Home runs, walks, strikeouts. Right. That to me is boring. I'm sorry. I, lo- I love action. I want to see a hit and run. I want to see a steal. That's right. I want to see you knock the catcher over or take a guy second base. Uh, you got to get the guy over, get him over or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whatever it takes or whatever. I think that um, we need to bring some of that excitement back. It'd be great for the fans. I think people want to see excitement, don't they? They want to yeah. see, see excitement. I mean, they don't want to. You know, I mean, it's, I don't want to see guys strike out, walk back to the dugout, take their gloves off, and look at the big screen. I don't want to see that. You know, I want to see action. You know, yeah. <laughs> back to the game. So, um, uh, takes- we'll see. If we can get back to center a little bit. No doubt takes us back, like you said, like in your heyday, you had Ricky Henderson, Tim Raines, Vince Coleman. I mean, those cats, Willie Wilson, those cats stealing bases. Like, what? That's, oh, you're so right. Because I thought that makes it more exciting. Speed, you know, speed and manufacturing runs. Remember we were kids, you know, we look forward to seeing a triple. Remember the triple was the most exciting play in baseball. That's right. See, I know, guys going to second. Oh, he's going to third. And it was the most, until he slid or dove in the third base, it would, it would keep you on the edge of your seat, man. Mm-hmm. You don't lose anymore. And because the guys are digging themselves, they're hitting home run, they're pimping, hitting balls out. If you, if you don't run out of the box, you can't get a triple. You can't wait until the ball lands and then start running. Because now you can't get there. Now you got to double, you got to stay there. Mm-hmm. 
So mm-hmm. that's why you don't see triples as much anymore because guys are hitting the ball and they're admiring the ball and they're charging down first base, digging themselves. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the guy doesn't, the ball doesn't go over the fence. Now you got to start running. Too late. Too late now. So mm-hmm. I just want to see that element going back into the game. I miss, you know, to turn a double play, have a guy come at me. And if he tried to take me out, hey, that's part of the game, man. You know, mm-hmm. so I miss that element of because as a fan, when I came to the games, I wanted to see some of that. I wanted, I wanted to see a manager and umpire argue. That that that's that right. exciting. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, right. For right. a second. That was part of the game. That that's you look forward to, you know, a little a little dust up every once in a while mm-hmm. when they yell at each other, beauty of the experience of baseball. Yeah. Wow, and now, but then, but now with that COVID though, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's gonna be yeah, you have to socially distance, yo, from afar. Later, yeah, that's right. That's right. And now, well, before I let you go, Willie. Oh, wow, the great Willie Randolph, 39th episode of Where They At. So glad to speak with this man. And uh, like I said, I, I grew up admiring you. I was a Met fan, but I admired how you played because when I was playing baseball, I I wasn't a power guy. I was about speed and fielding, and I played shortstop and second base. So, wow, it's just so great, so great to have you on. <laughs> My pleasure. I mean, we've been trying to hook up for a long time, man. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I know you'll have me back. I'm looking forward to coming back, man. But I enjoy talking the game. I enjoy sharing my, with my fans and everything. But uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. I love uh, Thank you. And uh, like I said, God bless you and your family. And uh, hopefully we get the season going where we can get some fans back in the seat and get the fans mm-hmm. back. I think that's the lifeblood of this game. About mm-hmm. the fans, man, it's, not, it's a different game. So hopefully we can, um, you know, give everybody back in the stands and we can get this great game of baseball going again. No doubt. And in this last segment, so hit and run. Here we go. It's fast questions and 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 you give and a quick answer. If you want to elaborate more, feel free. But here we go. Here we go. First one. Now, this is interesting. Three of the great teams in New York history while you were in the bigs, you know, as a, either a player or as a coach, the 77 Yankees, 86 Mets, or 1998 Yankees, which team would you pick? And be be objective, because I know you were part of uh, two of those teams. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I have to say, and it's so weird I'm saying this, because I usually go back to when I played. Uh, the 98 team was special, man. That was a special team. It really was. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've I've been on a lot of great teams, and 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 the, and the common fiber and all that is is everyone kind of really playing for each other. I mean, really coming together and leaning on it. There was no ego. I mean, from Tino to to O'Neill to Jeter, mm-hmm. I mean, all these Chili Davis, we were one cohesive unit, and and there was no I me. I got to be the hero. That team, when we walked on the field, the other team knew the game was over. And, and in baseball, you, you see that in football sometimes. You might see it in basketball. But really, do you see that in baseball where a team is looking across the field and going, hey, I know chance against these guys. These guys are just much better than us. That 98 team was special. Now, I can talk about 70, 77 because, again, we had some great Hall of Fame people in, in, on that team. Mm-hmm. But the talent wasn't quite what 98 was. The, 80, mm-hmm. the, the Met team had great talent. I mean, they had a great team also. Mm-hmm. But, and gamers, that 86 team. That I'm saying, and, and all of them. That's why they were great because they all had that gamer element. Mm-hmm. But, but when I think about the total package of, of continuity of lineup, um, mm-hmm. the unselfishness and way we played, uh, just the talent, overall athletic talent, that team was 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 different. It was different. Ooh, wow! I, I was like a father, like a teacher, watching my my students and pupils. <laughs> I couldn't do anything, but but I had a little piece of, of them working. But but that that was a special special group. That, that wow, year. no doubt. Now Mike Trout or Mookie Betts, who's the best? Oh, tough one, man. 
I I I like um. Oh, I, I like I'm, I'm I'm giving Mookie a little nod only because he he uses his athleticism in so many different ways. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, Mike Trout is is a beast. I mean, to me, he reminds me of a modern day Mickey Mantle. That's how great he is. Oh, that's a great comparison. He plays as much. Yeah, yeah. He reminds mm-hmm. me, and I don't you know. I didn't see Mickey in his heyday, but he, to me, if I if, if he's the closest thing to what Mickey Mantle was when he was you know the great Mickey Mantle. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I've not seen him play a lot. I've seen him play because he's on the West Coast. So I've seen Mookie play more. I've seen mm-hmm. that he can do everything, but he does it with the kind of a style. You know what I mean? I, I think it's important that players play with a, a swagger, a respectful swagger, mm-hmm. if you will. And what I mean by that is that enjoy yourself. Show off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Show your skills, your personality, you know? With the chain, That's why I love with that chain. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, express yourself. I mean, it's okay. As long as you have respect for the game and you don't show up the other people up, the other team up, I love that about Mookie. And, I, I, and I'm probably a little more partial because, again, I've seen him play a lot more. So, again, I hope I'm, I'm not going to try to get too long-winded on you, but I give I give Mookie just a slight nod. But but if you put Mike Trout in a situation on a great, great team, then he, him and Mookie Betts, they're, they're, they're 1A and 1B. What are you going to do? No, it's deep. Yes, indeed. And now the best second baseman in the game right now I think DJ, you got to give him a nod. The guy, although it was a shortened season, mm-hmm. back to back MVP. I mean, yeah. I'm, or, or, or batting champ. That's right. So, I mean, and then he's on the winning team. So I think I'll give right now, even though I can talk about a lot of those other kids, I think DJ is the guy you got to give a nod to because, again, I mean, he's doing it, okay? And he's consistent with it over, over a couple years. So uh, there's a lot of young talent out there, but I'm one of those guys that, um, you gotta show me. I'm, I'm I'm not from Missouri. I'm not from the the, the show me state. But but I but I don't believe I don't believe in, in in one or two years and then all of a sudden you're great. We we throw around the the, the word great too loosely nowadays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of good players or maybe really good players. But but greatness is you know guys like Hank Aaron. You know what I mean you know Joe Morris. Yes. You know, Joe Kaline. Yes. That, that's greatness right there to me. So so uh, I, I always preface what I say when you talk about who's the best at this or that. If you if you can do it for three or four or five years in a row and be consistent, being on top of that, then that makes you the best. Okay, wow. I don't believe in in these kids that come in and have one or two decent years and all of a sudden they're like, oh, they're the flavor. No, no, no. I I I, I appreciate that, but mm-hmm. but I'm not going to put you in a category with guys who have some longevity or a track record of being consistent. Are mm-hmm. you are you an all star for three or four years in a row? Okay, now we start talking about who the best is. Okay, but mm-hmm. you can't just come in in one year have one good year or a year and a half. All of a sudden, it's like okay, now he's great. Uh, that's just me. That, that's my criteria, mm-hmm. right, for judging guys nowadays. Which, which we do a lot of that with all the people that talk, talk talk sports. I just think that you have to have a certain track record or show a consistency of excellence before you know you, you talk about who's the best is or whatever. But right now, I mean, you can't go wrong with DJ because he's he, he's where he is right now because of the last two years. And you can throw a lot of guys in the mix, but but I think that when you win. And uh, you show consistency the way he has. I think right now he's the best second baseman. Wow. Okay. Because I was surprised out too bad. I thought he'd be a guy. You know, small speed. But but you know what? And and I hate to bring it up like this, man. But you know that that whole scandal thing, man. There's a lot of cats. Hey, who knows how much they long they did that? Okay. Mm -hmm. Before that, he was one of my favorites, and I still love the guy. Mm -hmm. But but I thought that team. It's like guys that use steroids. You always got to kind of go. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you know, how long was he doing this? Was, was it that? 
And so that's why that would that to me hurt me. That was tough when when they got into that 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 scandal thing because you know you, you affected a lot of people in the game. You know, with cheap like that. Okay, uh, mm. not not just because it's wrong. It sets, it sets a bad example, but also it, it's a thing of where you know uh, those young pitchers who got the crap beat out them when when they were you know being exposed by the drum. Those mm -hmm. guys got released and they got demoted and they thought that was who they are, but that wasn't. They got knocked around, mm -hmm. they got beat up because they were cheating. So mm -hmm. I look at it from a broad standpoint, not just the fact they've cheated to win games, but you affected other players' careers and lives in that way. Right. That's know? right. That's huge. There were a lot of kids who, who got their butts handed to them, you know, coming to Houston and they got demoted the next day. And it's like, and then maybe because the ERA was inflated because of that, mm -hmm. I got released. And Kershaw, his legacy, you know, after like him, that game five, I think, you know, like how they knew when the curveballs were coming, you know what I mean? Like, so. And he's taking out a heat for, for not winning the so-called big game. Mm -hmm. And that's been a reason. That's why I was so happy for him that he finally got that monkey off his back, so to speak, oh. this year with it. Because he's, he's all of him. He's a great pitcher. The one pitcher dead or alive you would give the ball to for game seven. Oh. <laughs> I can name a bunch of guys here to be normally. I'm gonna throw you for a, cur a curve to you here. El Duque. Okay. Hey, hey, El Duque, yes. the biggest game pitchers I've ever. If you want to win one game, mm. that's such a competitor, such a winner. You give El Duque the ball, man. He's gonna get you to the promised land. Okay. That just came off the top of my head. I can name some of the Hall of Fame greats and life stuff. I mean, guys like Andy Pettit is a big game pitcher. You mm -hmm, can play mm -hmm. You know, Roger Clemens. I mean, those guys, you know, speak for himself. But but a guy that 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 some people might go, you know what, he might be a third starter, but you know what? If I gotta win one game, I give the ball to El Duque. No, that's no, that's deep. It's deep that you say that. <laughs> that's deep to say that because El Duque gamer, gamer for sure. He knew how to execute, he knew how to he's he was an assassin, man. He knew how to come after you, whatever. He was not scared. I mean, and he knew how to he knew the art of pitching. See, I, mm -hmm. I love artists, I love you know, the art of hitting, the art of pitching or whatever. A lot of guys can slug, a lot of guys can throw the ball, but I want right. you, but can pitch, can mm -hmm. you hit, okay? Mm -hmm. that, that's what I like, that's what I admire and what I want to see when I got a game on the line. I want you to be able to, to keep the hitter off, off balance, okay? You can throw hard as you want, you can throw 99, 100 miles an hour, but you might make a mistake every once in a while. One thing baseball players can do, they can hit a fastball. No, that's... But guys that finesse and throw curveballs, change up, change speeds, work every quadrant of, of the strike zone. Mm -hmm. Those are the guys that I want with the ball because now Bob, the opposition is going to have to think now about how to dissect this guy. And if you're hitting your spots, like El Duque was like, boom, 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 like right on that, right, you know? And and he can do that. Those are the guys I want to give the ball to because I know the other team's going to go, man, what is this guy going to do? I mean, he's going to throw me in, he's going to throw me out, he's going to change speeds, he's going to buzz me a couple of times. You know, Duque would, would, would try to intimidate you too, Yeah, is part yep. of it. That's right. That's right. About him. But but I, I just I just want to give him some love because I, I've seen him in big spots where everyone was like, OK, well, you know, who's pitching tonight? And when you say, oh, Duque, you go, we good. We good. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You knew it. <laughs> we got this. We got this. We got this. <laughs> that's right. Woo. Now, the most underrated player in the 45 plus years you've been involved in baseball, the most the name that people need to know more of, you know, that solid pro or that player that should be in the Hall of Fame like that caliber oh man okay um uh i think fred mcgriff should be in the hall of fame 
Fred McGriff, quiet, just just unassuming, consistent every mm -hmm. year. Why well, not in the Hall of Fame? I mean, I can name a few of the guys too, but but I think that he's a guy that that sure enough should be in. His stats were there. I mean, again, he was a great teammate. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, I've played with and for so many guys that that you know again. These, all these names pop in my head, and I can name three or four of the guys, but a guy that I really think should be in the Hall of Fame is, 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 is Freddie McGriff. And if I had to think about one of my one of my contemporaries is Lou Whitaker. Lou Whitaker was another guy. Sweet Lou. Mm -hmm. Lou. I think Lou should be in there too. Now, if Alan Trammell was in, then I look forward to Lou Whitaker getting in sometime soon. Okay. That's right. Because mm -hmm. they were like 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 Mutt and Jeff, peas in a pod. And uh and matter of fact, I know for a fact Lou taught. Uh, Alan lied about the game. I know both of them personally, mm -hmm. but um, obviously Lou Whitaker in, uh, man, Gary Sheffield. I mean, yes. I, I played with Sheff and Sheff is a guy that, that, that for a power hitter, getting back to a strike walk ratio, the guy never hardly struck out for a power hitter. Mm -hmm. And he, and he, he swung with attention. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was not getting cheated. He was not swinging slow. He was going to take a healthy hat. And, and, and that's unusual for a power guy to be able to swing that hard and do that much damage and also not strike out. So again, I mentioned those cats just off the top of my head, but I can name a lot of them because there's so many that played in that 80s era. Mm -hmm. I think the veterans committee is going to have to go back to that era and, and re-examine some of the guys that were knocked off the ballots because there were some really good players during that era that should be in the Hall of Fame. No doubt. Now the film that you can watch over and over and over and over again I'm a big Denzel Washington fan. Anything Denzel Washington does, man, I'm a big fan of. Man, he's just so good. And and then the young brother just passed away. Oh, Chadwick Boseman, yes. He, yes. He, the stuff that he did, what he did with the James Brown thing. Oh, Jackie Robinson, of course, Thurgood Marshall. So those 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 are the, the, the cats that I love watching, man. Inspirational people, people that leave that leave something, you know, on on your soul. You know what I mean? That that, that that's what I look forward to more more than anything. Oh. Wow, two more questions in the hit and run segment. And now be it now. If you can have an unlimited music catalog of one artist, who would it be? Uh probably Miles Davis. Probably Miles. Oh, yes. I'm a big I'm a big Miles fan. I'm a big fan. And I do have a lot of his stuff, man, but mm -hmm. I listen to Miles all day. I mean, he was just so innovative. The way he went from era to era, the way he reinvented themselves, really mm -hmm. created genres. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, who doesn't love Miles, man? You know, right. I, I, I got just to meet him, you know, personally. So 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 and, and he was he was a different kind of cat, as you probably know. Mm -hmm. But 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 see that 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 you know, he had that eye contact thing with you, or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. well, he loved baseball too. I remember I think back back then he was still uh I think he was married to Cicely Tyson, I think. That's right, yeah, yeah. 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 The NJ packed that one time. I think oh, my might, might have been the Prudential Center. But anyway, uh, I, I you know I love Miles. I, I love all the old school cats, Coltrane. Uh, I'm into a lot of the contemporary stuff. Gerald Albright and mm -hmm. you know um, uh, you know Boney James. All these cats. I love love, love instruments and, and and just the flow of, of all types of music or whatever. So again, the next time we do a, a Zoom together, man, I'm give you a little tour of, of, oh. of, my, of my man cave and stuff, man. No <laughs> doubt. And music and sports, man. I think you get a kick out that's, of that. Hey, that's that's what life is about. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> For sure. Well, and last question in the hit and run segment. The one person you haven't met, dead or alive, that you would break bread with? Oh, man. Probably um, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. That's probably, I mean, I would love to sit 
and talk to him about the struggle, um, you know, how he must have the courage to do what he did in the face of all that adversity and, 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 and dire consequence. Um, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, I, I met him, I met Muhammad before, but mm. that guy's like that, you know, guys like Muhammad Ali and, 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 and Martin Luther King, those are the people that I would love to sit and pick their brain because, you know, their, their souls were so pure and, and, and they could teach you so much about life, you know, and, and about, you know, you know, again, just, you know, getting the most out of, of, of yourself when you interact with people and what you give back to people and how you inspire them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Finding ways to how they connect with people that make them better. That's what I'm yes. talking about. So uh, that, that would be a person that if I wish I could go back in time, uh, that would be one person I wish I could uh, sit down and break, break, break with. the great king. Wow, that's deep. And uh, while wow, Sir Willie Randolph, the Willie Randolph Foundation, anything coming up 2021 that you want to plug for the foundation and what's going on with it? Not, not right. I appreciate that, but not now. We're still working on some things and um, um, uh, we'll get things rolling again after COVID and get things back to normal. Mm-hmm. And we'll do what we need to do. And I also do the Yogi Berra uh, Museum uh, Golf Course, too. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, when is that? When is that going to be? That, well, right now we well because of COVID, we were going to do March eighth, but obviously no, not March, uh, June eighth. That's usually we have in the middle of summer. But mm-hmm. right now we tentatively set up October third. Right now, okay. But if we come out, well, we'll talk about it later. But yeah, we raised a lot of money for the museum. I mean, if you go there uh, recently, outside of the Yogi, Ar- Yogi artifact, mm-hmm. they've done a great, great wing on the Negro League. Outstanding job. Buck O'Neill and all these cats are in or enshrined in there and they have all the, you know, the artifacts and the stories about it. So mm-hmm. uh, and you don't just get Yankee history or Yogi Berra history. You also get black history and Negro League history. That's and right. I'm so proud of the museum because they've taken upon themselves to honor these great pioneers of the game. And so um, when you go there, when it opens back up, I, I, I encourage everybody to go. It's a great place to go. It's a fun place to be. Uh, and I think you'll get a big, all kind of exhibits and everything, mm-hmm. all kind of artifacts. And I think you would love that. So um, wow. again, um, uh, uh, we'll have the tournament, but we'll announce for sure. If things go well, we get the vaccines going and everything, mm-hmm. and back into the seats. Then we'll, we'll maybe even push it up a little bit. But right now, it's tentatively set for October eighth, but we'll see how it plays out. And that's what and that's where Raina Growing and I, our mutual friend Raina Growing and I, met at the Yogi Bear Museum. Yeah, during the screen screening of the house that Steinbrenner built, that that thirty for thirty film that they screened there. <laughs> Mr. Willie Randolph, honor and a privilege to have you on Where They At, sir. And it, and you one of my heroes, like I said, growing up. And, and, and I'm so glad that you're a fan of the music. So oh. glad that your knowledge and your wisdom and, and your emphasis on teaching and teaching the youth and bringing the youth up and, and just your story of everything is just so inspiring. Thank you for being on Where They At. Hey, I love you, man. Just keep doing what you're doing, man. You know, we're brothers for life now. So yes, we can sir. move on or we move forward or whatever. I always be there room for you, man. So don't hesitate to 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 bring me up. All right, man. No, right. I appreciate you. Right. Yes, sir. Here, be safe, everybody. Same to you. you know, be a team player, man. You know, do what you gotta do to bring this country back. You know what? We'll we'll rebound from this or whatever. So again, wear your mask, be safe, you know, wash your hands. So we're gonna get this thing going back in the right direction. So again, uh, God bless you guys, love you, and uh happy new year. Have a great year, man. Thank you all for listening to the 39th edition of Where They At with the great Willie Randolph, six-time All-Star, six-time champion, four times as a coach, two times as a player, a great manager for the Mets, made them relevant. 
um, and and he should get another managing opportunity soon he deserves it it should have happened already but it will happen for sure for him and and what a, a great experience to talk with him about his life his experiences his outstanding approach to the game of baseball and also teaching as well he really prides himself on teaching and helping the youth be able to get better in what they do so honor to have mr willie randolph on and once again one of my heroes growing up uh in new york and queens and everything so now if you want to hear other episodes of where they at make sure to go on spotify apple Podcasts. Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe and or rate as you'll hear more interviews with uh, tremendous individuals in the world of sports and add a couple of musical legends as well. So check that out too. And also I'm on Catropolis Radio Network, which is Catropolis.net, C-O-S-T-R-O-P-O-L-I-S.net. They stream my podcast 8 p.m. every Monday night too on Catropolis.net. And if you like the the music that you hear go on my website n-a-b-a-t-e-i-s-l-e-s.com nabateisles.com where you can check out uh the sounds of my uh, from my record eclectic excursions and also to check out my band camp which is nsi universal that is my band camp page where you can check out the album as well as uh, check out the latest single that i released with a great hip-hop artist named niles and a great singer from the voice by the name of beth griffin manley we did a track in tribute to Chadwick Boseman uh, and, and portion of proceeds go to the Chadwick Boseman Charitable Fund for the Arts. So please make sure to support that track on Bandcamp NSI Universal. Once again, thank you for, for listening to Where They At and thanks to Willie Randolph and remember everybody be blessed, be safe, wear a mask and also treat each other with kindness and respect. That is going to be the way for us to really grow as a society especially with all the division going on there's no need for that really look to understand each other and to listen to each other and that's what it's all about we need to have harmony and unity in the community take care everybody god bless bye-bye